Well, good morning. My name is Morgan Lusk. I'm the pastor of youth and families here at HPC, and I'm uh, thankful to be up here today to preach the word. Go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you a quick Thanksgiving story. Uh, Most of you know that we have uh, two boys adopted from Uganda, and uh, it's interesting trying to explain Thanksgiving to an African child. Uh, They have no context for what that means. And so last year, as we uh, attempted to prepare, uh, particularly Nathaniel, for Thanksgiving, uh, we started to tell him, hey, we're going to have this holiday, and and it's because, well, we're going to get together and eat, and it's because... One, one day back in a long time ago, these people came over from England and they, they met up with some Native Americans and they helped each other out. Well, Native Americans really helped them survive, so we give thanks for that. And he's like, okay, so, so we're going to eat. Yeah, yeah, but, but we, we remember, we're, we, we give thanks, we're thankful for, for all the blessings that God has given us. And he, I, I can remember him thinking, and so we're going to have a feast Yes, that's what it's about, yep, and so that was, that was kind of the first understanding that Nathaniel had about Thanksgiving was, was food, and, uh, and so uh, I thought that appropriate as we come to kind of our Thanksgiving Sunday today. We're going to talk more about that in a second, but let's read from God's Word, Joshua 4, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan... The Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word we are told everything we need to know about you and about how we can find salvation in Christ. And I pray that this morning that um, your word would be preach that I would be simply a vessel through which you speak, and that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Thanksgiving is a day of remembrance, it's a day of giving thanks. Uh, we do, in our, in our world, we do a lot of remembering. Uh, you may be familiar with, uh, with Guy Fawkes Day, I don't know, in, in England they celebrate that, they also call it Bonfire Night. Uh, where they say, remember, remember, the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason in plot. I see no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. That's a big deal to them. Most of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. But we also um, think about 9-11. What do we say after 9-11 happened? We said, never forget. 
Never forget what happened on that day. Never forget the sacrifices that people made, the tragedy that occurred. So we do a lot of remembering. Do we ever stop and think, why? Why do we remember? Some would say it's because we're, we're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past if we don't remember. Some would say we remember because we want to know our roots. We, don't, we want to know where we came from. Those are both right. Those are both good. But as we come to Joshua 4, we see that the, the Israelites and, and their command to, uh, to set up this memorial of 12 stones, each for the tribe of Israel, that's a command that's about much more than nostalgia or learning lessons. That's a command about remembering what God has done. It's about strengthening their faith. It's about remembering so that in future times, when they encounter difficulty, they would be able to look back at, at the, the firmness of what God had done and stand on that solid ground that their faith might not be shaken. And so today I want to take a closer look at how remembering what God has done strengthens our faith in Him. And the first way we need to remember, first point in your bulletin there, is to remember with thankfulness. Um, I want you to stand with me in the shoes of an Israelite who has just crossed over the Jordan River. You have just witnessed yet another miracle that God has done. He has walled up the floodwaters of the Jordan River so that you could cross without even so much as a sandal getting wet. Okay, this, this is a miracle. And so you're, you're sitting there thinking, wow, I mean, if, we didn't have TVA to control this floodwater. So, I mean, I didn't know what we were going to do, but God did it. God did it. He walled up the water. And we crossed over. And we're finally here. We're in the promised land. We made it. We're in the land of milk and honey. And if you're an honest Israelite, you cannot look back at your history without realizing it's all because of God. You're not here because of anything you have done. You've been Forrest Gump floating around like a feather on the breeze. Okay, you have done nothing to get you here. God has done everything to get you here. It was God who called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and led him to Canaan. It was God who uh, worked a mighty work in the life of Joseph so that a deed that was meant for his evil turned out for the good of an entire nation. It was God who preserved the Israelites through 400 years of slavery in Egypt and brought them out with a mighty hand. Exodus 13.3, there in your bulletin, says this. This is God reminding us of what happened. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. If you're an honest Israelite, you should remember what God did in the desert, that he provided for you every single day while you wandered in the wilderness. And if, if you're an honest Israelite, you'll remember that even though your, your forefathers were afraid to enter the promised land because they said the people are too big and the walls are too huge, God was patient. And he, and, he, and he allowed you, the second generation of Israelites, to enter in the promised land anyway, even though maybe you didn't quite deserve it. So God calls them to set up this monument, to remember well what he did. And he, and he says to do this, for your faith and for the faith of future generations, so that they might remember 
what God has done. It's kind of like how we send our kids off to Washington, D.C. to remember what our forefathers have done in, in establishing this nation. Uh, maybe, maybe Israelites took trips to Gilgal to remember what God had done in getting his people across the Jordan with safety. And this is true for our own lives. We need to remember with thankfulness what God has done. Paul expresses this in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, there in your bulletin. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So just as God cut off the waters of the Jordan and allowed the Israelites to pass over without so much as getting wet, God has also cut off the waters of His wrath. The wrath that we deserve for our sin, He cut those waters off by the atoning sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Those waters were cut off, and as Isaiah 51.22 says, Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God who pleads the cause of His people, Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, You shall drink no more. Why? Because Christ drank that bowl for you and for me. Those who, by the grace of God, have been chosen as the first fruits to be saved will not suffer God's wrath, the wrath that we deserve for our sin, because Jesus took that wrath upon himself. You may have heard the illustration about standing at the bottom of the Hoover Dam. Now, the Hoover Dam out in um, Nevada slash Arizona apparently holds something like 3.25 million cubic yards of water behind it. And I don't know anything about math, but that sounds like a lot. So, imagine you're standing at the bottom of that, and it just breaks. I mean, what are you going to do? You are a goner. In like a split second, you are a goner. Okay? You just might as well just, just close your eyes. But then imagine that Jesus steps in front of you and absorbs all of that. And that's what he's done for you. And absorbing the wrath of God. You get his life, he took your death. And we must remember this with thankfulness each and every day. But this is hard. I mean, we are fallen people with fallen hearts, fallen minds. We live in a fallen world. Brokenness is all around us, and so we easily forget. And so we need to remember with visual aids. If you want me to remember something, you've got to write it down for me. You've got to send me an email, write it on my hand. Of course, I still forget sometimes. We we forget all sorts of things. We forget meetings. We forget birthdays. Heck, my my kids, you know, that we tell them to go put on their pajamas and they get halfway to their room and they're like, oh, a toy. Let's play. No, no, no. That's not what we said. Put on your pajamas. It's hard. It's hard to remember. You know, if you're you're like me, you also can forget what God has done. Now, when I say that, I don't mean like Jason Bourne forget where you wake up one day and you're like, I don't remember anything. It's not like you're opening your Bible and you're like, I've never seen this before. This is new. That's not the kind of forgetting I'm talking about. It's it's forgetting in the sense that as if you're living your life as though you have forgotten who God is 
and as if he has no bearing on how you live your life. That's the kind of forgetting I'm talking about. God warned Israel about this in Deuteronomy 4.9. It's there in your bulletin. He says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. I want to illustrate this with a little little talk on Black Friday. Anybody know, by the way, why they call it Black Friday? I don't really know. But, I mean, is it because, like, you wake up when it's still dark and you go stand in line when it's still dark outside? Or, Or maybe it's because, like, Walmart and Target turn into this black hole of greed? For me... It's Black Friday because I'm asleep. I am, not, I am not trying to get in no line at 4 o'clock in the morning at Walmart. But that's, that's personal preference, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying Black Friday is wrong. If you want to go shopping on Black Friday, go shopping. Have fun. Make a, make a date of it. But the key is do not check Jesus at the door. Every year we see videos, and we, and we laugh. We see videos of people getting in fistfights over a TV at Walmart. We see videos of people bull rushing over a PlayStation at the mall or something. And people get trampled over, over shopping. And my point is just, it's easy to check Jesus at the door in those situations. It's easy to check Jesus at the door in all of life. We, we get into a routine, we get into a rut, we we check Jesus at the door, and before we know it, we've lived our lives like, like he doesn't even matter. It's easy to forget that Jesus isn't just Savior, but he's also Lord, and he has ownership of our lives if we're Christians. You know, after, after Joshua, it wasn't long before Israel was, was stuck in pagan idolatry, Pagan worship, rebellion. The, the following book after Joshua is Judges, and, and the catchphrase, catchphrase in Judges is in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is not long after the events of Joshua. Surely Israel could have remembered what God did, but they chose to forget They forgot God, and we do that too. We go days, we go weeks, maybe months, like we've forgotten that God is our God. And yet we claim to be his people. There's another kind of forgetfulness, though. I'm going to point your attention to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Numbers Numbers gets a bad rep, but I think it's a great book. It's got a lot of good stories, a lot of good pointing to Jesus stuff. But... Numbers eleven four through 6 says this, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So, you know, the context is, is that Israel is wandering in the desert here. They're between Egypt and the Promised Land, and, and they've been wandering around for a long time. And each and every day, six days out of seven, God is raining bread down from heaven. And he's even, 
You know, he's even had water come out of a rock, doing all kinds of miracles in the lives of the Israelites, and they start to complain. Yeah, the bread, but the bread, the bread, the water from the rock, but we want some meat. Why can't we have some meat? God was providing, but it wasn't enough. They became a, what have you done for me lately, people. You know, they hadn't really forgotten God. They, they remembered God. They remember he was there, but they forgot to worship him. They forgot to attribute everything they had to him and his blessing on their lives. They became forgetful. They forgot that he was the only reason that they were free and freedom was not enough. And they became a people that would rather be comfortable slaves than afflicted free people. And I want to go back to the Black Friday illustration real quick to to say something more about this. Black Friday is a phenomenon in general. Again, I've already mentioned it's my personal preference to avoid it. But it is also a cultural phenomenon that I believe is symbolic of something greater in our culture. You know, we have this one day, Thanksgiving Day, to remember our roots, to give thanks to God, to remember what God has done. And then the very next day, we say, yeah, but I want some more. I want more, 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 more. And then lately, the last, I I don't remember when this started happening, but several years ago, Black Friday, you know, has been creeping into Thanksgiving Day. And I I think, again, that's symbolic of the fact that we want more and more and more, and it, it absorbs the day when we're supposed to give thanks, and it's, before you know it, you got families standing in line at Walmart eating turkey sandwiches on Thanksgiving Day. What's my point? My point is that as a culture, we don't have time for thankfulness anymore. We are too concerned with getting more. We are what have you done for me lately people. And we are not satisfied with what God has given us. We want more. And partly as a society, I think this is because we don't know what it means to go without. Now, I know this is not true for For every individual, there are plenty of people, people in this room even, who know what that means, who know what it means to lack. And you are grateful and you are thankful for what you have. But as a society, as a whole, as a nation, we cannot remember a time when we lacked, truly. So we're told that we need to be thankful. We're told that there was a time when we lacked and God provided and we should be thankful. But it doesn't register. It doesn't make sense. It's not our experience. We think, I've always had everything I've needed. That must be because of me. And so that becomes a reflection of our spirituality. And we become similar to Saul. I preached about a month ago on Saul in 1 Samuel 15. And I'm I'm always struck by what he does in, in 1 Samuel 15, 12. It says, And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, And behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Saul forgets that God gave him success. Saul attributes his success to himself. And he sets up a monument. He sets up this visual aid so that every time somebody goes to Carmel, hopefully they'll remember, look what Saul did here. And this is... Instead of setting up a monument to say, look what God did here. 
Saul attributes all of his success to himself. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves doing the same thing. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we take our youth on mission trips to Jamaica and places like that. Um, There are a lot of reasons for that, but this is a big one. Um, You know, of course, we, we think of going on mission trips and we think of being a blessing to people in a different place. And that's true. We want to be a blessing. When we go to Jamaica, we work with the deaf and we want to be a blessing to them. Um, but it's, it's about more than that. Um, you cannot truly, at least I don't think, you can truly understand real need unless you've seen it and experienced it, at least for a short time. And I, I don't think you can experience real thankfulness either unless you've seen real need. And we see it in Jamaica. Now, if you've been to Jamaica, you've probably flown into Montego Bay, and you fly over the Caribbean, and it's this beautiful, clear water, and you, you touch down, and you get out at the airport, and you see resorts and beaches, and you see the, the hip strip, and everything you think of when you think of Jamaica. But as you get into a bus, and you, you take the beach road up a little bit, and you turn off, and you head up into the mountains. By the way, where we go, we're three hours from the beach, up in the middle of the country in the mountains. And so we have this three-hour bus ride. And it's not long before you see the stark difference between the beach and the real Jamaica. Because the real Jamaica is is most people are living day to day, scratching a life off the earth. They're they're mostly subsistence farming. Uh, Most of them do not have cars. Many of them do not have electricity. Their prized possession are the goats that they tie up by the side of the road for some reason. Uh, it, it is a different world. It is a world of poverty. And it is good for our kids to see that. It, it is good for our kids to gain a new perspective on what need is, on what it is to go without. And most importantly, the thing I hope comes from that is that our teenagers will come away from those trips with a real sense that everything they have, they owe to God. Everything that they have been blessed with is from God. It is not from them, it's not from their parents, it's from God. And in an indirect way, yes, we provide, but we only provide because God gives us the means to provide. To sum it up, I want to read you this quote by Matt Chandler. He says, remember that you did not do this. Yeah, you got out of slavery, but you didn't get out of slavery because you were awesome. You got out of slavery because God is awesome. Our sins are forgiven, not because we are awesome, because God is awesome. And we need help to remember that. So that's the second point was about remembering with visual aids, and I have really not talked about that yet, I realize, but here... Here's where that comes in. We need help. We need help remembering. We are fallen people with fallen memories, and we need help. This is why God commanded Joshua to memorialize the covenant renewal at the end of this book in Joshua chapter 24. He says, So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statues and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law, And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us 
for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So the idea is that everybody who had passed by that stone, remember, I need to deal truly with God. I need to remember God. God did something similar in, in 1 Samuel seven twelve after the Israelites had defeated the Philistines. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. Again, a reminder that God is our help. Ebenezer means stone of help. And of course, we have the supreme visual aids, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we read the words of institution. 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-three through 25 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We are so desperate for visual aids, things to help us remember. The beautiful thing about the Lord's Supper, for instance, is that not only do we see or or hear God's word, not only do we hear the gospel, we, we also get to see it and smell it and taste it. It involves all of our senses being remembering what God has done. and we, we eat the bread and we remember that Christ's body is the once-for-all sacrifice to pay for our sins. And we remember that we are nourished by God's Word, that His Word is our spiritual nutrition. When we drink the cup, we remember that our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ and that we can live free from the guilt of our sin because we are covered by the blood of Christ. It's all about strengthening our faith, pointing us to God and what he has done. There are other ways you can do this. Uh, a lot of people highlight and underline things and write notes in their Bible as, as sort of reminders of what, of what has, God has been doing in your life. A lot of people will keep journals and, and, and talk about in the journal what God has been doing so that you can point back in times where you're struggling and say, oh look, yeah, I remember, God did something here in my life. He was here. He was working. And he's still working. I have faith that he's still working. Another way is to, to, to keep people around you who will hold you accountable. When you, when you slip up, they'll, they will lovingly come alongside you and say, hey, you're slipping up. Let's talk. We are, we need help. We cannot do this alone. We need help from other people. We need help from other things. We need help to remember to grow in our faith. But it isn't just about our faith. It's also about the faith of future generations. And that's why we must remember as witnesses. Look uh, again at verses 6 through 7 in Joshua chapter 4. It says, When your children ask in time to come, What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And I'm struck by this passage because it doesn't just say what 
that, that, that children will ask, what do those stones mean? It says, what do those stones mean to you? You know, it's, it's good for our kids to ask what things mean, to ask theological questions, to ask what does this mean in the Bible. It's, I mean, if you've got a kid that comes up to you and says, Mommy, what is justification? Or, Daddy, how doth God execute his decrees? I mean, that's wonderful. Put them on the fast track to seminary, sign them up for Ph.D. classes. That's awesome. But I, I guarantee you that it's far more likely that your kids are going to come up and ask you, Mom, Dad, what does Jesus mean to you? And when I say that, I don't mean like, you know, relativity, as in, tell me about what, what you think Jesus means to you, as in, you think that Jesus is this way, even though the Bible says he's this way. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a, they, they want to see if your relationship with Jesus makes a difference in your life. If it affects your life. They want to see if you follow Jesus on Black Friday, and at work, and at the football game, and at home. This is why Deuteronomy 6, 5-9 through 9, teach, says to teach your children to love God all the time. As you sit, as you go. All the time. This is not just one conversation that you have when they're, when they're 6 or 7 years old. This is an everyday thing. This is daily discipleship. Of, of you walking with Jesus and your kids walking with you as you walk with Jesus. If, if they don't see it every day, if they don't see it evident in your life, and look, I'm not telling you to be perfect. We're talking about a life of repentance, a life of turning back to Jesus when we fail. If they don't see that modeled, then they will be tempted to turn to other things. They will see you turning to other things. They will see you living like Jesus really isn't the Lord of your life. And that maybe he's good to have around, keep him in your back pocket for a rainy day, but other things are just as important. Your money is just as important. Your popularity is just as important. Sports, education, these are all just as important as Jesus. They might begin to think that they're just as life-giving as Jesus. And that maybe they're more of a sure thing, because we can see these things. We can't see Jesus. You don't really need faith to believe that money is real. We've got to be careful. Bear witness to Jesus Every single day. You might say, well, that's a lot of pressure, man. Come on. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. But it's not pressure to, to convert. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit is the one that will change a child's heart and point them to Christ. And you might do everything you can do. You might be the most faithful witness you can be. It might not matter. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert. It's your job to be a witness. It's Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the, of the earth. And normally we apply that to missions, but it applies in the home too. We are witnesses. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that is more secure that we can bear witness to. I mean, think about that. Think about what, what the significance behind God telling Joshua to use these 12 stones as a monument. Maybe he was trying to say, hey, Joshua, you're going to look back on what I did, and you're going to remember there is nothing more secure that you can put your feet on 
Nothing more secure you can put your faith in. Nothing more solid than me. We can stand firm as witnesses to what God has done in the past because God has chosen to forget our sin. If we're in Christ, if you're in Christ, there is no more record of your sin. It is gone because God the Father sees you as clothed with the righteousness of Christ. He has chosen to forget your sin. This is a historical reality. This is a fact. This is the most sure thing there is. That Christ died for sinners and that all who put their faith in him will have eternal life. This is the most sure thing there is. There is nothing more secure. But that's not all. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. He says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, If you know grammar, you know that Paul's using the aorist passive tense here when he says, made us alive, raised us up, and seated us. This implies that it's a, these things are past events that have ongoing significance. They're still relative, they're still happening in a way, but that we were passive in all of them. We had no part in this. It was done to us. And the, the crazy thing is, he's talking about a future event. And he's talking about it in a way that makes it sound like it's a past event. Why? He's saying it is a done deal. It is so sure that it's going to happen that it's like it's already happened. It's amazing. We can, we can look back on what God has done with thankfulness, with gratitude, with, with absolute assurance, and with faith. And we can also look ahead to what God will do in our lives with the same thankfulness, the same absolute assurance, the same security, and the same faith. Because it's as if it has already happened. F.B. Meyer quote in your bulletin there, he says, As in the passage of the Jordan, all Israel came up onto the river's bank. So in the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus, the whole church of his redeemed passed over to resurrection ground and are in the purpose and thought of God already seated in the heavenlies. The future is just as much of a sure thing as what Christ has done already. And that is what we are called to remember. That is what we are called to bear witness to. And as we sit down to celebrate Thanksgiving this week, let that thing, let that surety be what captures our hearts and drives the way we live our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we are in awe of you and of what you have done, your faithfulness, the fact that in Christ you forget our sins, and we want to bear witness to you, to future generations, to those around us even now. I pray, Father, that this will be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds as we, not just as we celebrate Thanksgiving, but each and every day. 
I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.